Welcome to the Whose Body Is It podcast. I'm your host, Isabella Melvin. Radical feminist activist and writer Ellie Arrow joins me today to discuss the many harms of pornography and prostitution. Ellie shares her journey from liberal feminism into radical feminism after seeing the real and brutal harms pornography inflicted on women and girls in her life. We cover problems with the term sex worker and other trade myths, the intentional erosion of boundaries and agency for women in the sex trade, and the bizarre belief that regulating the industry will protect women from the dehumanizing and medically dangerous conditions inherent in the sex trade. We also speak of the loneliness of sex buyers, the correlations between the sex trade, surrogacy, and obstetric violence, and the relationship between marginalized demographics and sex trade capitalism. How did you become an expert activist and researcher on uh, the harms of porn and prostitution? So I didn't uh, plan to end up where, where I am now. Um, and I really appreciate the, uh, the people who, who follow me on various social media and my blog. And I, I also do some YouTube. And yes, I discuss prostitution mostly, but because it intersects with the porn industry, um, you have to put these two together and discuss them together. It started for me when I discovered feminism when I was still in high school. And as the journey goes for many others, it starts with liberal feminism, or you don't even know there's different kinds of feminism. It's just the feminism that's handed to you. And it tells you that any kind of nudity or sex, all of it's good, all of it's empowering, all of it's, as long as you choose it, then um, that's all good. And I remember being like 15, 16 and parroting all this stuff, um, all these these terms like sex work, etc. But um, I guess I, I, I'm thankful that relatively quickly in my final years of high school, this narrative stopped making sense to me. It just didn't fit with what I was seeing uh, around me, which uh, like the impacts of pornography on, um, on kids, on teenagers, on girls' body image, on the sexual behavior of boys. I realized at some point that uh, boys were copying what they were doing with girls from pornography. And um, it then didn't make sense that the movement for women's rights was saying porn, porn is good when the girls around me were getting harmed, everything from revenge pornography to rape to filmed gang rape. And for context sake, I'm from Germany. I'm, I'm middle class. Um, I'm one of the safest places on earth and these kinds of crimes were happening and the type of feminism that was given to me just didn't have any answers. And it was for me, the work of Gail Dines that really radicalized me, that told me, no, actually there are different schools of feminism and this this new feminism in the last few years um, is is not really in women's best interests, really in many ways supporting corporate interests, men's interests, etc. And I just remember watching her presentations over and over again and everything just falls into place. Oh, actually, this is why boys and men are doing this. Actually, this is why when I first saw porn, I felt disturbed, I felt unsafe, I felt scared of men and sex, and not just me, many other girls too. And 
from there, I started reading not just about the consumer side, so the person watching, but the production side, which I think is forgotten all the time. People talk about porn like it's an individual choice. Do I like watching this? Yes or no. But actually, how is it made? And Gail Dines talks about this. Um, now it's a global industry, so it's made all over the world. But a lot of it is still made or was for a very long time in California, specifically in, in the Porn Valley, which is close to Hollywood. So... Um, unfortunately, it's not a cliche that women who want to become actresses or models then get approached by dubious men who promise them, you know, a, a role in a film. Turns out it's a porn film and a lot slip away from Hollywood and slip into pornography. And that's, yeah, unfortunately, a global pattern. So I started learning about how is porn made. It's made a lot of the time, even the legal stuff with deception, with fraud, um, with abuse. So many women get lied about what they're going to have to do in the video, et cetera, et cetera. And there've been many whistleblowers over the years. And then from that, um, I started looking closer to home. What's happening in Germany? Well, we're famous for our legal prostitution, our legal brothels, right? And not just Amsterdam, Berlin uh, might be even more aptly named the, the brothel of Europe. And I was looking at conditions for women here and the fact that so few people talk about it and when they do talk about it, again, it's an individual choice. Does she like selling sex? Yes or no. It's mm. not about what is the brothel owner doing? What is the sex buyer doing? What are the authorities doing? What is the tax office doing? All these different actors. And it made me, once you, I'm sure you've had this experience. Once you learn about something like that, you cannot forget about it. And especially if it's close to home, if it's happening to girls and women, you know, it just won't let go. And you feel, I started feeling the need. I need to do something about this. I need to I need to talk with other women. That's what I did first. Mm -hmm. I spent a few years talking, learning from uh, feminists um, who are one or two generations older than me, and also talking with women my age about our issues and how uh, digitalization, media, and all that stuff plays into it. Uh, learning from them and then figuring out, well, what can I do? What am I good at? I'm not made to be a social worker necessarily, but... I'm not so bad at communicating, I figured out eventually. And so that's what I'll do. I'll write and I'll talk. And what I do is all informed by, yeah, what women and girls around me have experienced, what they share with me. And the analysis also from survivors of the sex trade is really crucial. And then I ended up uh, with a focus on the sex buyer, the men who pay for prostitution, because that's super neglected in everything from academic literature to media reporting, Often the sex bear isn't even mentioned by word. It's like women sell sex and men are clouds of smoke or something. We don't know what they are. And I decided, well, here's the gap I can fill. And that's what I've been doing the last five or six years since I was 19. Just reading, 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 talking, 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 and then making public what I can find. And, and now I'm really thankful that there's an audience for it. Yeah. I mean, that's how I... I, I... I mean, I was think I was following your your Twitter account for for a bit, but what really struck me is when you shared the photos of the the sex buyers. That was really striking. I love what you said about uh, once you saw that there was a problem, thinking about what is the best way that I can get into this work. And it sounds like it was pretty clear to you that social work was not the way. And I, I can really relate. And I think also why I reached out is because I can relate to the way that you're, you're spreading awareness, you know, in a kind of um, uh, consciousness raising way for women who want to get involved. It can feel super overwhelming to like where to even begin. Like, this is such a big monster. How would I even begin to, to talk about this? And we each have our, 
our genius, even if that means like having the funds to support other women to talk about this, you know, there's, there's so many ways to, um, get involved, you know, so a lot of women come to me who are, um, peeking out of liberal feminism, which is an experience that I had as well. Um, so I'm curious, what was the process like being amongst like peers who are saying things like sex work is work. And then you kind of coming into this information. Um, yeah. What was, what was that like kind of coming into this and how did that affect your, your social standing? Um, I should say in my case, um, I was, the liberal feminism wasn't fed to me by my peers. It was literally just the internet. So when people say, oh, no, young people don't get pushed this this way or that way on the internet. I mean, I was. Um, mm. My peers were not interested in politics, most of them. I had one good friend who was interested in feminism and then she discovered radical feminism before I did. And then it was a lot of the time the exchanges between her and me that really, like she was very good at slowly making me doubt things like, should men be leading feminist societies? And I was like, oh, why not? There are good men, right? This this sort of simple stance. And then she was like, yes, but look at how it actually works. Look at how women talk differently when men are around. They don't dare say some things. They might not want to talk about very sensitive, personal, painful issues. Um, those kinds of conversations. Um, my peers uh, in high school were, like I said, mostly apolitical. Um, but... In hindsight, we were all affected. Uh, well, I think victim blaming was the biggest ideology all around and liberal feminism doesn't help with that. Like, I'm trying to think of a, a good example. We had a, a case in, in my high school of revenge pornography where um, a girl sent a, a nude photo to a boy and he shared it with all the classmates. And in the end, everyone blamed her for it, like she shouldn't have sent it. And if it was her choice to send, then that's her fault now that that's uh, out there. And um, while liberal feminism wasn't present there specifically, um, when, I, when I see the conversations now about like a woman on OnlyFans or a woman in any kind of pornography, liberal feminism doesn't have anything to offer to, to, to stop the shaming of her because most of what it emphasizes, it was her choice to put it out there, it was her choice to put it out there. When you go online and you Google feminism, all these liberal feminist websites come up. The only feminist, in my opinion, like like proper feminist website that I read during that time uh, was Feminist Current that sometimes comes up. Mm -hmm. So there's so much power in the Google algorithm, really. And thankfully that made it to some of the top results when I was yeah, just Googling things I was interested in. And some of the, I remember in hindsight, the most thought provoking articles I ever read was on Feminist Current. For example, um, how um, porn culture intersects with, with uh, really ped pedophile culture, what's the right term, how pornography infantilizes women, how it emphasizes you have to be hairless, you have to be submissive, you have to be, girly um, and how that translates into beauty practices, which obviously as a teenage girl, you see all around you and you're told if you don't do that, then right, you're, you're um, dirty or weird or asexual or something. That's another thing I could say that was, that definitely impacted me. Like I said, not my peers, the internet, the internet told me if I am disgusted by pornography, which, uh, or if I'm uh, frightened uh, by it, 
uh, then I might be asexual. So when people say the internet doesn't doesn't impact young people's perception of their their sexuality or something, and we all we never get confused about who we are. I know personally, we absolutely do. It, yeah, instead of liberal feminism telling me, look, if you're uncomfortable with this, maybe there's something there to investigate. Actually, this is about your boundaries and about disrespect for women, and you're completely right to feel um, feel this way about pornography. It told me if you don't like porn you must be asexual. And there's only porn sexuality or none, uh, basically. And again, this was just me in, in my childhood bedroom at my computer getting getting fed all these, these harmful mm-hmm. ideas. Yeah, I had a similar experience. I don't know that it was so much from the internet. I think it was having been raised in New York City, like in an art scene, Um, And I remember graduating from college, there were just a lot of a lot of my peers all of a sudden were going to like swingers clubs or polyamorous uh, in triads, Um, were experimenting with escort services, like all of all of this stuff just kind of hit me post college in a way that it hadn't it hadn't been a part of my life before. I I never felt the, I was never exposed to the narrative that if you don't watch porn, you're, you must be asexual. But I remember um, feeling that if I wasn't interested in feminist porn, then there was something not right. You know, if there, if, if there was this whole new category of quote unquote feminist porn that had really high production value, uh, where the directors really valued their actors or they call them actors, you know, that, that, perhaps there was something wrong, like that I wasn't somehow getting it. So I can, yeah, I can relate. And I know a lot of women who have expressed similar sentiments. Um, and the only sex, you know, quote unquote, sex workers or women who were in the sex trade that I knew were upper middle class white women. And a lot of them had artistic practices. So the lines would be super blurred uh, between their performance art and um, their, you know, experiences in the sex trade. So there was a, that was another line that felt really blurry to me. Um, so that was my kind of indoctrination or uh, confusion around the topic of porn and prostitution was that not only was it, you know, could it be uh, a choice, but that it could actually be art. Mm-hmm. Erica Lust is, I mean, largely responsible for that, I think. I was going to ask, sorry, can you specify what you mean when you say sex worker? Because that's one of the issues, right? That term means so many different things. Is it someone who just takes pictures of themselves, sexualized or nude? Or is it someone in brothel or someone who's actually in the full-on porn industry where you get penetrated by men? I don't use the term at all because one... Mm-hmm. Um, survivors of the sex trade find it offensive and harm denying and uh, it, that would suggest that the sex buyer is a client and the brothel owner is a manager which once you've investigated these groups of men I could never call them that um, but it also is confusing like we don't we don't really know what people mean when they say they're a sex worker because they can mean a million different things yeah so the women that I'm thinking of specifically were um, were prostitutes like when they wanted to be 
So they would have men, you know, DM them or email them, whatever, how they were being contacted. I think mostly through Instagram at that point. And they would have sex on occasion for money with strange men that they didn't know or men that they did know, like friends of friends or people they went to school with. Um, so yeah, th- those women, the, the two women I'm thinking specifically were doing that. And in addition to, yes, posting nude photos, uh, nude videos, um, a lot of uh, like what might seem like art slash fashion kind of uh, shoots that were like, I think, heavily informed uh, by pornography as, you know, most fashion and, and art is now. But yeah, I... I hear you on it being super blurry. Like it's the same with, with other topics too. It's like we're, we're using these terms or these acronyms so interchangeably without naming what we mean. And I totally see that there is uh, like, for example, someone who's posting nude photos of themselves on the internet behind like a screen has a level of, you know, physical protection um, versus a woman who's being trafficked in a brothel. I mean, I think we need clear language so we all understand what we're talking about. To give a concrete example, uh, on Twitter recently, someone told me to to shut up and sit down and listen to a sex worker. And the person they meant was a male dom who gets paid to like hit people who find that sexually arousing. And he, he has got nothing, like his reality has nothing to do with the average woman in prostitution. But... Um, the other thing that's blurry is that women move from something like OnlyFans into the regular porn industry, into prostitution and back. They even move from there into trafficking or that they are trafficked because obviously that's done by another person. All of these industries are not separate at all. So once I think that's that's one of the, the most harmful things. It's it starts out when when we're girls and we're told to, to that we will be powerful if we sexualize ourselves, which used to be like an MRA, a men's rights activist talking point, that women who are sexy have power and now feminists are telling girls and women the same thing, which is really bizarre. Um, And and it it teaches you to slowly, slowly erode erode your boundaries. So maybe it starts with with the very normalized presence of highly sexualized selfies, which we're told will make men admire us, but really usually it gets lots of disrespect and it's not that I I'm really not blaming women when that happens but when we talk to especially girls we have to tell them the reality of how the world works if you post nude photos online I can say my final years of high school that used to be extremely normalized uh, nude or semi-nude images or highly sexualized images the world is not as nice a place as we'd like it to be sometimes the word feminism acts like we've already achieved uh, way more equality than we actually have. You can't control how someone else sees that photo and um, whether they still see you as a person or just a sex object and chances are the latter will be the case. You also don't have control where that photo ends up, who masturbates to it, who might monetize it, who that your future employer might see that in the world that we live in now. It's really, really dangerous to tell women and girls just post a new picture without shame. I can say that um, Thankfully, I never did. But I remember a time when I was like 18 or 17, around that time when um, I was also doing some art, body art. And this one time I painted my entire upper chest and I thought, this is a beautiful artwork. I want to share it on Facebook. And 
then actually my dad sat me down and said, you shouldn't post that. Your future employer might see that. All kinds of people might see that that's not safe. And at the time I thought, oh, he's a stupid conservative and people are prudish and why can't I post this? And why should I be blamed? And I shouldn't be blamed and no woman who posts nude images should be blamed. But the reality is we are. The, the society we live in right now, we are still punished. It doesn't actually give us any power. So it was normalized to post nude images. And that is, yeah, it's the first step of eroding our boundaries. If it's normal for us to do that, then maybe next time it's a video. And then maybe once we're in university and many people forget, they think if a woman is a sex worker and she's a student, then she made a choice because it's assumed all students come from middle-class homes, which is not true at all. The women I knew who considered or nearly entered the sex trade did so because they don't have support from their families. Either the families don't have money or they cut them off for some reason. Just because you're a university student in the sex trade does not mean you actually have all that much agency. And basically my philosophy is always, no matter what what, what sector uh, the woman is in, to not assume um, that she has all this agency because probably there's something more going on. And even when there's not, what do we win by shaming her um again like why aren't we talking about why do men want to see submissive women why do they want to see barely legal women etc etc and um even though i think it's important to make a distinction between something like only fans and prostitution only fans can be a gateway into prostitution there's probably a lot of stuff that went uh, down in a woman's or girl's life before she ended up on 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 only fans and even if she never gets into it I mean, like you and I are YouTubers, so we're women on the internet. We get comments about our appearance and, and our, right? And that, that can be upsetting even though we're fully clothed and it's not sexually compromised. Imagine you have nude photos or videos of yourself out there and, and in order to support your own income, you have to read comments after comments after comments about your appearance and how fuckable men think you are. That is one of the things that many, many women um, even on OnlyFans, which is right pornography without someone in invading your body, even that is incredibly, incredibly harmful to your mental health. And yeah, liberal feminism doesn't discuss this. It talks it like these men don't exist, like the money just comes out of nowhere. Um, even though, right, if we listen to whistleblowers on this issue, they keep telling us the women themselves keep telling us actually this is really bad for your body image, for your mental health. And you start doing more and more things that you didn't set out to do. That's how the entire sex industry works. Um, first, it's just lingerie shots and then maybe without the bra. And then maybe there's another person in, in the photo and then it's a video and then, yeah. So uh, I hope that makes sense. All these, all these things tied together, I think. Um, yeah. And it's a really, really toxic brew for women and girls. Um, that very few people, the, the adults are not aware. The adults have no idea what's happening to, like when I was a teenager and discovering these things, I didn't feel like I could talk to my parents. And when I did, I had to explain these things to them. Also the amount of grooming by, by pedo criminals, I prefer to say that rather than pedophiles on the internet is intense. I don't know a teenage girl who didn't talk to a mm. pedo criminal online at some mm. point, including myself. Mm -hmm. um, and either someone had told us never give your address or give a picture to a stranger. And, but some, some of us did do that. And yeah, that, that ties into it as well. It's, uh, 
really, really upsetting the amount of power that the internet gives to, to groomers and misogynists and predators. Can you walk me through how you came to focus on on the buyers specifically and, and what has been your process? What is the most alarming? I want to hear all about yeah, how, how you started to focus. You, you mentioned earlier that you felt like it was an under looked at area of this debate, but yeah, can you just walk me through um, your experience exposing and kind of researching the buyers of sex? Yes, so um, one of the most powerful things that persuaded me that uh, prostitution is not a job and certainly not a job like any other was the Invisible Men Project. I believe it was started in the UK. And since then, there's been a version made for Canada, France, Israel, uh, Italy, um, and maybe one or two more countries. And these are websites that collect, all they do is publish statements from sex buyers because there are hundreds or thousands of forums online where men talk to each other about uh, escorting uh, brothels, etc., and they just dis- describe their experiences. They uh, write a review of women in a manner that you would an Amazon product, only it's a person. Um, and yeah, when I read that, that was I remember not being able to read more than three or four of these quotes because they're so upsetting. They really um, just tear apart the image of, well, a woman is just having a little bit of fun in a hotel room with a nice man. You learn about just, I mean, first of all, it makes the the sex by himself present because it's his voice. It's he's telling us what he felt uh, happened there. And you learn for sure that men don't want to talk and cuddle. That's such a really gross myth. Um, They want to have sex on the push of a button. And they essentially order women, yeah, they, they call up a hotline or they go into a brothel and they pick women on the basis of, of their skin color, their body weight, um, their, um, their ethnicity. So it's like hugely racialized. You can literally search on, on the prostitution advertising websites on the basis of you want a black woman, you want a Romanian woman, um, you want an Asian woman. And women are also advertised in, in these hugely racialized uh, ways. Like um, I kept see for many months on one of these forums, I kept seeing an ad of a woman who was presented as indigenous um, from, I believe, Colombia. And she was in indigenous, um, she had uh, indigenous kind of a jewelry around her neck and she was completely nude and she was standing in some kind of jungle. She was also presented to look um, underage, like she had a flat chest and everything. And this is like a legal, legal German forum. So in Germany, we're still at the stage where we're just discussing, does she want to sell sex? Yes or no. And the conversation never moves beyond. If people knew what the German sex buyers were saying, we might start having a different conversation. And so I made the, the German version of the an Invisible Men project, which is, um, I guess, a little bit hard to Google for English speakers because it has the German name, Die Unsichtbaren Männer. But if you find me on social media, you'll find the link. To the forum and then also we know um, for a long time Germany used to be considered internationally as a leader in prostitution policy which seems bizarre to us now because we have such a terrible reputation abroad or in my experience it's 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 gone that way so much of the international pro-prostitution lobby no longer advocates our model they denounce Germany at this point 
But I thought the international community also needs to go what's happening so they don't get the idea that they should copy us. So everything I've done on this, it's both on a blog and on Instagram is also translated into English um, so that anyone can use this information. And it just, yeah, it tells you what's, it gives you an inside view. What actually happens when the door closes behind him and her in a hotel room or he ordered her to his room or in a brothel. And it's very hard to read and not because it's explicit. I'm not, I mean, I'm sure you hear this all the time. If you speak about this issue, you're called sex negative and prudish. It's not because it's about sex. It's because this mentality is, it is sick to, to pick someone on the basis of their skin color or their body weight. That just the beginning when he searches for her in that process is really uh, disturbing and dehumanizing. Um, and then what he does once they're alone, he tells her, I want this, like he's ordering off a menu. I want first a blow job. And then I want to have vaginal sex. And then maybe I also want to have anal sex. And uh, whenever he, he wants to do something that's uncomfortable or risky for her, like anal sex with multiple men a day is, is a risk to the body. Uh, so is vaginal, uh, actually, unfortunately. And um, so he has to pay extra for those, those kinds of things. Um, but he orders this off, off a menu, he does it, and he will even continue doing it in most cases, as these men described, when she is visibly dissociated, like she doesn't respond, she doesn't move. Men keep saying things like, oh, she was like a block of ice, she was like a doll, or she even they will say she was like a corpse. Um, or when they can tell that that the the pleasure she's seemingly expressing is fake, they will say, oh, she did some fake moaning, all oh, this boring fake porno moaning again, I'm so sick of it. She should just shut up. Yeah, even just talking about it now, right? It's 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 um it's hard for me to even summarize it without being, well, one, getting getting angry and two, uh, getting mm-hmm. getting very explicit. I don't know what the policy on your channel is in terms of explicitness. As explicit. Um, I think I've I think it's the most explicit channel on YouTube. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, they will even continue when she's in pain and they can tell that she's in pain. Not every man does that, but a sizable number. They just have this mentality. I paid. Therefore, like we're going to do this until I come. What, whatever is going on. Just uh, yesterday, I was uh, revisiting a forum. I take breaks because obviously this is mentally taxing. I was revisiting a forum and they were talking about, is this woman trafficked or not? Um, I try not to look at the images, but they were discussing, is she, is she even adult? So I looked at the image and I was like, I cannot tell. Just could be a minor. It's, mm. um, so it's a legal forum and um, it's a legal escort advertising website and they're advertising someone who might be a minor, who might be trafficked. So like I said, like these, the, in, the trafficking industry and the prostitution industry, complete overlap. Like they use the same websites, the men who pay for sex use the trafficked women, non-trafficked women, poor women, addicted women, and the tiny few who might actually be making a choice that they're, they're essentially visiting, being visited by the same group of men. Um, they were discussing in this thread, is she trafficked or is she not? And then this multiple men said, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll just go check it out and check it out means I will, I will pay and I, then I will finish. Um, I will do the whole thing. And they said this woman was, um, apparently seemed to have a fever. She was at multiple points close to crying um, and she couldn't speak any German. That's very common. She just doesn't speak the language. And if you look at forums for Australia or New Zealand, you also find this like Asian women who don't speak English. That's just 
uh, regular part of the experience. So it's not two adults meeting eye to eye. They can't even talk a lot of the time. Like there's so much there that's screwed up, but even just the fact that they can't even have a conversation about who wants to have what. Um, and it's really not hard to find examples like these. It takes me like five minutes or a quick keyword search and I can find hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of examples. And I have published hundreds and hundreds and people still say, you know, I'm cherry picking them and it's not that bad. Well, if sex buyers don't as a group generally dehumanize women, why does prostitution advertising look the way it does, which is often incredibly dehumanizing, like I said, racialized, infantilized, women bent over, women contorting their bodies in ways that make them look like sexual playthings, not humans. And then there, there are tens of thousands of men on these forums. Like I can see how many people have an account. Those are not going to be 500 Johns and 10,000 undercover feminists. Right. Like, right. I Just mean, in the sheer number of the account holders. Yeah. Yes. And these are the men who are enthusiastic about their sex buying. These are the super fans, the ones that go all the time. If the super fans of your industry are this brutal, and this racist, like, what does that say about the industry? What does it say about what attracts men to buying? And I think, I mean, this has been the radical feminist theory for a long time. It's very simple. He pays because it's easy and he's got control. Yeah. And just to finish this off, like a final point, they will sometimes discuss policy, politics on this, on this, on these forums. They will also discuss non-prostituted women. So women who are yeah not selling, um, they, and the way that they talk about us is like, these stupid feminists and women today they are so difficult and we can't even get into their pants anymore like standard misogynist slash insult talk is just so such a hassle then you take her to a dinner and then right you have to spend money and time with her when I just want to you know put it in and it's just yeah so much more convenient to pay and Modern women are really, you know, a disappointment. And what we want is these Asian women, these Eastern European women, they still know how to please a man. And to, yeah, to finish it all off, once you've read this kind of stuff, you just wonder, how is it possible that anyone who calls themselves a feminist would be in favor of, or would be uncritical of what these men do? Because it's the antithesis, even of many liberal feminist uh, um, yeah. beliefs. Yeah. It, it, has no place in, a, in a, any kind of liberal human rights movement. Um, and even if you can find one or two examples where he did just want to cuddle or did just want to talk, the core of what attracts men is, is not that. Because if they wanted to take their time to get to know a woman, they wanted a woman who could assert her boundaries and have her own pleasure, well, then they would just go on a date. Because, and then, yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. You brought up so many good points. My, is the first thought uh, that I want to bring up is you mentioned like the, the sexist stereotypes that exist within advertising for prostitution, like the objectification of women, um, the selection of, you know, choosing women who look like minors or perhaps are minors. Um, and I think the way that liberal feminism has dressed up porn and prostitution is by featuring like gender non-conforming people, mm-hmm. right? It's like all of a sudden it's okay as long as the woman has hairy armpits or it's okay if uh, the man is, you know, feeding her a few romantic lines before he exerts his dominant dominance and control over her, you know? 
And then also, obviously, within like lesbian porn, too, if it's two women, you know, uh, uh, dominating one another in, in a form of violence, then then that's OK, because they're both women, um, which we know obviously can't be true. And lesbian on lesbian uh, domestic violence is is real. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, I feel like the the way that perhaps it's been more digestible or I could imagine it was for me and my peers is to see like the Erica Lust version of, you know, this depiction of, of this lifestyle, um, which obviously is trafficking, but, you know, one would commonly call, you know, now within liberal feminism, a, a lifestyle, a lifestyle choice. So I want to respond to um, this kind of like alternative pornography, alternative prostitution. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many oppressed groups that the sex trade. And I think that I should emphasize this. It's a capitalist industry. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Of course, it has a lobby in his interest, as does every other lobby. And what do these big companies like to do? They like to paint rainbows on everything. Like these dehumanizing advertising websites I talk about during Pride Week, they put rainbows everywhere and then they advertise the hottest trans woman of the month. It's got nothing to do with progressivism at all. It's just Mm -hmm. a way to make money. And we know that so many uh, mega industries uh, trample over people's even dead bodies of people. And this industry does for sure. And we cannot trust any kind of advertising it does of itself. And I cannot believe that the left who is supposed to be right, uh, capitalist critics, socialists, or even some Marxists support this industry. It's really unbelievable. There are many, many minority groups this industry tries to hide behind. Uh, LGBT people is one group, um, like you mentioned. I think disabled people is actually one of the hugest, uh, one Mm. of the biggest um, narrative points they have. Oh, but what about disabled men? Poor disabled men need to be able to buy. There's so much to talk about there. I think we could talk like for two hours just about the disability angle because uh, maybe I can just d- direct people to uh, check out the work of uh, German sex trade survivor Hushka Mao. She's written about this because she's both been, uh, she's a prostitution survivor and she's worked as a, a carer for disabled people. Um, so she, she knows both those worlds. Uh, many people like to say prostitution for disabled people is just an extension of care. We even have a term in Germany, um, which is essentially like disabled sex care is, is the essence. Um, but um one it's it's still feeding into this really harmful i guess i haven't mentioned this ideological belief that men have a right to sex and marginalized men even more poor men Mm. disabled men especially them the men who've been downtrodden they deserve sex and liberal feminists would say no no of course they don't but in essence that's what the the industry communicates and that's the way it's defended I'm working on um, on a, a blog post or maybe a video about this specific issue. One, I search for what are disabled men themselves actually saying? Well, one, a lot of disabled men are saying it's offensive to uh, reduce us to political fodder for this issue. You're saying nobody wants us. We're inherently undesirable. Nobody wants our bodies because they're not able-bodied. Um, that's not true. A lot of us are in loving relationships or we're dating. Uh, or we're actually um, not so desperate that we would resort to the sex trade. We'll figure it out ourselves. Thank you very much. Um, and then a lot of disabled sex buyers are considerably more brutal than people realize. Uh, when I was looking on these forums, I found some quotes of men. They too want, for example, to reenact violent pornographic anal sex just because they're in a wheelchair. Like we always think, oh, he can only be a threat if he can like push her down and overpower her. And of course that is the scary, dangerous situation for many women. You're alone, 
in a room with a man who feels he owns your body, at least for the next half hour or the next 60, 60 minutes because he's paid. That is really a dangerous situation. It's where a lot of violence against women in the sex trade happens. But even a disabled man uh, can can hurt you. And um, just the underlying mentality, I am owed sex. Women have to provide it. How is that not pure insult ideology? So, and then there's the, another thing that I can't go into because it's too complicated. There are also a lot of people who decide for disabled men that they should have a right to sex. There are these caretakers who hire like escorts for um, especially mentally disabled men. Just because he has an erection doesn't mean he's consenting. You know, there are like non-verbal men, for example, Hushka Mao talks about it in her article. There's usually the sex buyer, in my opinion, is not the harmed party, but in this case, there is mm. this might be news to people but no it's not news that disabled people are victims of violence and that yeah. includes right this scenario where they assume oh you know he's showing some kind of sexual behavior how can we quiet him down how can we tame him the same with men who have alzheimer's uh who are in in in, in these caretaking homes and so much like oh he keeps touching the nurses let's just hire a woman which adds this another terrible myth that the woman in sex trade is some kind of fodder to protect other women which right. is really, really dehumanizing. But mostly I wanted to talk about this example to illustrate that just because it's this slightly, it looks slightly alternative because there's a minority group here, it's not, doesn't mean it's fundamentally diverging from the ideology that underlies the sex trait, which in my opinion is really pure patriarchy and sexual entitlement. And um, the same goes for Erica Lust. I think Feminist Current wrote an article exposing or was it? Um, I think it was Gail Dines. In the documentary, of Did, multiple people. I think, yeah, I think I remember Gail, was it, I think it was Gail Dines who wrote a big expose on feminist porn that I read a few, like maybe a year or two ago. But I'm, yeah, sure, so maybe, I'm sure multiple, yeah. I won't cover it in detail because I think other women have done that work already. Um, it's not all that alternative. Yeah. It's still, you're still in front of a camera. You're still... I think the hardest thing is consent needs to be reversible. And how do you reverse if you've signed a contract on what you will do in front of a right. camera uh, with the pressure? There's another person there. You've already been shooting for so many hours and now you'll just walk away. All these people will be upset with you. Uh, we know that there's at least one example of a woman being violated on a set of this supposed feminist porn icon, Erica Lust, that's been covered extensively. And the last thing I want to say on, on that issue is, these al alternatives, they're not really all that alternative exist, but I have never seen a woman with armpit hair on these prostitution advertising sites. Never. It just does not appeal to the mass of men. The, fem the feminist, bio, uh, sustainable porn prostitution is never going to push out the regular um, porn and prostitution because there's just not demand for that in Berlin they tried building a brothel for lesbians so just women selling to women and they had to shut it down after a year because there wasn't enough interest so it's just hiding behind minorities and pretending that trying to rebrand this industry and it's a it's a huge big lie and now I forgot what the third question was the the, the actual question that you posed to me can you ask it again the, was it about men being lonely Yes. Yeah. What do you make of the narrative that that men are just lonely and, and want company? Um, and that this is a male loneliness issue. So I think maybe I should say I do think we have a loneliness crisis in society. And I think some sex buyers are lonely. I don't think that's the 
core motivator because many men who are lonely decide not to buy. So we really have to investigate what makes the one who does decide to buy uh, do that. It's not like I'm lonely. Okay, now I'll call up the escort hotline. First of all, someone who's lonely needs needs friends, needs real connection, needs real company. He doesn't need a woman he might not even be able to talk to. Like I mentioned in Germany, most women are migrants who come from the poorest parts of Europe, uh, Asia, and and uh, Africa, Latin America, to some extent. Like he's not meeting a person on eye level who's going to be there for him when he needs to talk to someone who's going to give him kind of real connection. So if he's really lonely and he's looking for human connection, you can't buy it the same way that you can't buy friendship or love or right. any of those things. He It doesn't fix your loneliness. Uh, I think some men, and that's where I guess I mostly care about what happens to, to the women who are actually in worst cases dying because of the sex trade, but a man who's lonely and thinks prostitution can fix that, he's kidding himself. Sometimes I get messages from men who are in that position. They're like, I've had such bad luck dating. Either I've never dated anyone uh, or I haven't in a long time and I am lonely. And I just keep saying to them, what do you really want? You really okay. think you're going to find it here? I can tell you, you won't. Um, there are better ways. Um, we're not going to fix the loneliness crisis by through prostitution. Um, we need people to go out there and meet people in the real world. Like, what could you do? You could, if you have social phobia, get therapy. Please get therapy. But like, prostitution is not going to fix your social phobia. If anything, a paid interaction is, is going to teach you. It's going to teach you nothing about real human connection. Join a club like you have a hobby meet other people who do the same hobby you'll make friends maybe you'll even find find someone to date who knows uh, those things is what lonely men need and I think maybe and I don't want to say that's the only country where this is the case I'm just thinking um, one very very poignant example is Japan I should say I lived in Japan for one year that doesn't make me an expert and but um one thing that's super popular in Japan that I just I'm not familiar that this is a thing in Germany, at least not on a large scale or in, in all other countries. Um, but in Japan, I think also South Korea has this host and hostess culture. I don't know if you've heard of that, but that's where you essentially pay someone to flirt and drink with you for an evening and pretend to be a boyfriend or your girlfriend. And it's a mass industry. It's not tiny. Um, but it's, I don't think it's helping the loneliness crisis. It's intensifying it. And, um, and of course it overlaps with, with prostitution, but that's, uh, where some people go who, yeah, spend all their day working again. Like, I think it ties into, into capitalism, which is a, a lot of us are just at work all day. We don't even have time for human connection. And then in the extreme cases, people on the weekend go pay a man or a woman. I should say there are a lot of female clients in this industry to pretend to be intimate with you emotionally. Mm. Um, and there's a great documentary on this. It's called, I think, Osaka Heart Thief, if uh, people are interested. And it shows it's completely depressing. Not only are these uh, young men and women selling this service, if you want to call that, um, they you earn more money through alcohol, which also happens in some brothels. So they're destroying their liver on the job, which is really terrible. Oh, um, wow. But yeah. they're also killing some of, for some of them, kills their own ability to later be intimate with other people, which also is a thing that many women in prostitution report, just huge problems with intimacy during or after the sex day. Because you keep having to pretend, you keep having to fake it. 
And it's also a self-feeding industry in the documentary actually find out a lot of the female buyers of this so-called service uh, are women who are themselves in the sex trade. That's, I think that's just one way to illustrate it, but it's certainly not unique to Japan. Um, like, like I said, I think the, the loneliness crisis is real, but uh, again, there is someone trying to sell us companionship. I think you have to always fundamentally uh, doubt anyone who thinks they, they can sell you connection. You, you make yeah. that organically or you, or you don't have it. That's, that's what I think on the issue. Yeah. Yeah, that that definitely resonates. And um, despite how, you know, lonely one is, there's never an excuse to buy the insides of another person that I think of the same, same thing, you know, with surrogacy, like, I don't care how desperate you are for your baby, I don't care how badly you think you deserve a child. There is never an excuse to buy and rent the inside of another human it's it's absurd you know and so we can acknowledge like you know the the perceived kind of desperation or or whatever loneliness or whatever without endorsing an inhumane thing so i want to say one more thing that's adjacent to this which is the so-called girlfriend experience i think there's even an american tv show with that name and that's a lot of people are like okay so if he doesn't because the standard model, I should say, in Germany, when he goes to the brothel is like 30 minutes and it's like oral, vaginal, his orgasm, and that's it. And, and she she bears it. But um, when people hear, hear girlfriend experience, they feel a little bit more amicable towards it because it's like, oh, but then they actually, you know, go on a date, they go to a movie, they, they have conversations. And it's, I think, important to know two things. One, the girlfriend experience doesn't mean that to a lot of men. What they actually mean is they are paying so she pretends that she enjoys it. She's like, oh, welcome home, darling. Um, it, now there's like cuddles and kisses and head stroking added to it, which um, multiple survivors who've talked about this say is actually extra invasive. It's easier to lie there and dissociate. Now I have to pretend this is my boyfriend that I care about. That's actually... Oh worse not better and then it ties into the sugar babying which is a terrible term like when why are we calling women babies and man dad like sugar daddy this also like why this these incestuous terms that's Mm -hmm. gross and also sugar like she's living the high life i've uh uh, listened to uh, a few women describe their experience of that this is essentially you prostitution but it's one man and now, if, if there is a problem with men thinking they have ownership over women for just paying for 30 minutes, imagine if he feels like you're his private possession basically permanently, or at least for a few months or years, like the amount of entitlement there is extreme. Uh, for example, a lot of men uh, say, you know, a lot of these men are married, I should add. Uh, on, on the loneliness thing, a lot of these men do have wives and girlfriends that they might have dysfunctional relationships, but instead of deciding to fix them, they go out and pay. So a lot of a lot of them do is they hire a woman to go on a vacation, like the wife or the girlfriend is somewhere, and then they go to some nice place and take the woman the in prostitution on a vacation. And this is where like aesthetically it looks good. Maybe she's got all these photos at the beach and he's buying her things, but the the brutal price that that is that is paid um is she has to be sexually available to him 24 7 right so 
so I've seen both what women who lived it report and the men who, who do it report. And they were like, after day five, she was so exhausted. She was so tired. She was still recovering from the nose job that I paid for. And she didn't want to be intimate. But uh, I got upset with her because I spent that many euros or dollars. Um, the, the girlfriend experience of the sugar baby experience is, is way more brutal and invasive than people realize. And I think we need to sugar babying certainly as a term needs to be retired. It is just prostitution to one man or a few men. And people need to actually think about what does that really mean? What does that really do to the, the mind and the body and look like in practice? Cause it's, because we hear these things and we think, oh, I've had a lovely vacation with my boyfriend. That's what it's like, right? It's not like that at all. Yeah. So I imagine like there's a range of like timeframes in which women who are in the sex trade work. So there could be like a two hour slot or a night and it like, you know, it's, it's defined whereas like a vacation would just be a quote unquote vacation would be just nonstop abuse. I mean, like, yeah, that, the, thank you for, for naming that. I mean, it, it sounds, it's so obvious once you spell it out so clearly, but it's not, um, a part of, of this content that I, that I'd ever considered, but I, I like, I, I keep thinking of parallels to like the feminist porn sets where, uh, they have buffets of organic food and, on on site STI testing, or you know, in the case of surrogacy, she gets to have a home birth and she gets to, you know, eat organic food and maybe she even gets to live in another place. But of course, the subtext is like the buyers are in control of every bite she takes, every you know, sexual experience she has, what injections she gets or doesn't get, you know, all of all of these decisions come from, um, the buyers in the case of surrogacy and, um, you know, the, the production studio or whatever in the director, in the case of a, a porn set, um, or the agency or, or whatever. And so on the outside, you know, these are just ways to kind of dress up this such ugly, ugly, inhumane thing. And yeah. Wow. I can think of a concrete example that connects to this, which is um, many people might be familiar with this by now because it was uh, reported quite a lot in the international media, the case of the, and this case of is exemplary of many, many more that are basically exactly the same. The Paradise Brothel in Germany, which is a mega brothel chain that existed for a long time and then was busted multiple times for human trafficking. And it wasn't shut down because the way legal prostitution works is that the man who owns the brothel can always say, I, I just rent rooms. I just rent rooms to women who are independent contractors. That's another term that sounds great, but really means she doesn't have, he doesn't have any responsibility towards her. Um, she might set her own um, prices, uh, but other than that, like he's got no responsibility towards her in terms of sick leave, maternity leave, et cetera. That's uh, another thing we, we can talk about how this whole thing that you can fix it through workers' rights is a bizarre blatant lie but anyway this brothel was busted multiple times the owners were not held to account and then finally a few years ago they were able to prove before court that the men who ran the brothel knew that there was systematic human trafficking to to meet the demand in this uh, mega brothel chain 
uh, and they were sent to prison for it. So now we have this con uh, confirmation. But before that, these men were all over the media. I mean, oftentimes they, they send a woman in their stead so, because it's best for them if nobody knows that they're bosses. This is an industry with bosses, because maybe then the left wing might wake up and say, wait, bosses? We're not here for bosses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but these men were so brazen. They were in talk shows everywhere. They were always talking about how great women have it. They have buffets in their brothels, right? They give breakfast to the women and they have a great cleaning service. And they had an in-house gynecologist that was always mentioned and praised by the media. Look, this is the exemplary ethical oh. clean brothel. They have an in-house gynecologist, which is not about the women at all. It's uh, one, it's to present yourself to the public as clean. And then second, it's to, to tell to the sex buyers, you know, we're checking these women for STIs. You know, you can come here, you can be sure you won't, you won't catch anything because we're taking care of that. It's just marketing. Right. Um, it's not, not about women's interests at all. And I should say, when people say prostitution is work, no other job puts you at risk of STIs and pregnancy. And those are really not, I mean, that's, this is the area where you work. You know that pregnancy is not a small thing, especially an unwanted one. I recently wrote a, a blog post just about this, this issue. Um, it took a really long time to write and it was difficult to read the subject material about what happens to women's bodies in prostitution the average setting where she's likely an impoverished migrant and she's seeing like five or 10 men a day. What does that does to the body? And it's not just HIV AIDS, although that's, that's one issue. There are so many things. Um, but anyway, the, the point was the paradise brothel mm -hmm. advertised itself very successfully. The media loved it. They left it up. They repeated it many, many times. And since then, whenever I see an article saying, now this is the ethical brothel, this is the ethical pimp. Now this is the legislation that has found a way to give women power. And now these are all ethical managers. I don't believe any of it anymore because basically every time it turns up behind that, there's a really, really ugly uh, reality. The, the gynecologist point for me is like a super red flag. Like I see th through that immediately, just given what I've learned and witnessed in modern obstetrics and gynecology. So anytime I hear there's like a gynecologist there to protect women, my like my flags go up because I'm like, what does that even mean? What kind of care are you doing to her? Because that's already a very paternalistic relationship of doctor patient. Um, and then the other thing you mentioned, yeah, reading about the, the women's health issues. Yeah. It seems so reductive to even, to, to even like, it seems like the, the more overt, um, issues would be of course, unwanted pregnancy and STI, but I'm operating in a paradigm where like for every emotional conflict, there is a corresponding ailment in the body or, or set of symptomology in the body. Yeah. So that those two would be like, just the surface, like the super overt, um, yes. not, not that yes. pregnancy is a disease or a condition. Let, let's take STI, for example. I know plenty of women who have um, engaged and been in relationships that were um, where they were unhappy. I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far to say abusive, but just unhappy where physical symptoms would present in the body in the form of bacterial yes. infections, STIs, yeah. aching, cramping, all, all of the things. So I can't even begin to comprehend the magnitude of symptomology in the body for a woman who is that in that much pain where the pain is normalized to the extent where it's yeah, where it's normal that she's having sex with 10 strange men. 
a day. I mean, it's, it's on, I mean, for someone who has not been, you know, trafficked, it, it is unfathomable. It's not just traffic women, right? It's, it right. doesn't, even if she doesn't have a pimp, if she needs that, because people, uh, women in prostitution make a lot less money than a lot of people expect, because there's so many people taking money off of her, the brothel owner for the room rent, then she has to pay for all the lube and the condoms and the antibiotics and the contraceptives, um, the tax office and, and all these people. But if it's um, fitting, then I would, because uh, I learned a lot of new things uh, on this issue, because I'm not, I'm not a, a medical practitioner, but uh, some of the women I work with are, um, for example, gyne- gynecologists um, who have treated women in the sex trade. So I've had the chance to talk to them. If I could just list a few things, and in order not to get it wrong, I would read it from my blog. Uh, there's a long list there, including uh, what's the right term, psychosymptomatic mm-hmm. um, problems. Yeah, it's where I still recently, you always think like this is the worst thing you've seen, but then you learn some more stuff that you didn't know um, was going on. And I certainly did in the research of, of this piece. And I just want to read a few things out that stood that stood out to me. And I should also say, this is I specifically source this not just from the US, which has prohibition, because then people can always say, oh, women have these health issues because of prohibition. Most of the sources are Germany and the new favorite of the pro-prostitution movement, which is New Zealand. So it's mm. literally the New Zealand Department of Labor listing risk that is one of my primary sources for this article. So to, to give a summary of the article, there's all kinds of chronic pain because people like to say prostitution is just like retail, right? But um, right. women in prostitution have... Uh, wrist, arm, and shoulder pain from, from just from giving hand jobs all day. They have uh, jaw and throat pain from blowjobs, so much that some women use dental numbing sprays. Uh, hip and back pain, just from the heavy weight of the men on top of them. And knee and feet pain from high heels, like, you know, stripper heels, and uh, the crouch positions. And I should say in the article, there's lots of examples uh, of sex buyers talking about these symptoms. So it's not like they don't know this. They might, they probably know this better than most of the population. Yeah, prostitution is the only job that happens inside the body. So any any gynecological issue you can think of can happen. Inflammation, uh, vaginal pH damage, infection, tears, fissures, injury, prolapse, a heightened risk of cervical cancer, weakened pelvic floor, uh, painful menstruation, even infertility. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the this ties into porn, porn normalized anal sex for the entire population. There are women not just in the sex trade presenting in clinics with issues from brutal anal sex, and uh, also um, frequent enemas can are not good uh, for the body or can can have harmful effects. Um, so chronic abdominal pain, gastrointestinal issues, digestive issues, bowel inflammation destroyed bowel environments, anal tears, fissures, injury, and prolapse. Those for prostitution and porn, they're the same. Some people say porn is even worse because you're doing it for hours and hours, but a woman who's selling to, to seven, eight, nine, ten men or more can in prostitution can encounter the same things. Chronic bladder infections, which can uh, worsen into cystitis. Um, worst case scenario, some women end up with urine and stool incontinence, even young women. So this is from a gynecologist I had the chance to speak with personally. And it doesn't just come because, again, it's not because it's prohibited because it's not in Germany and, and New Zealand. It's literally overexertion of the body and mechanical trauma to yeah. the sexual organs. Because 
yeah, people reacted to this by saying, oh, these are just risks of sex. This can happen to anybody. You know, it happens because she has to do it again and again and again and again and again in a state of non-arousal and it's unwanted. That's not the same thing as having sex every day with your partner. Then maybe I don't have to go into STIs because I think that's fairly well known. Um, although I should say I got some more sex education from this because it emphasizes condoms don't even protect you from all STIs. And um the, the problem is not necessarily lack to access, but making him use the condom. Like a lot of women spend a lot of their energy just telling the, the buyer, please, please, can we use it? Please don't pull it off. Please put it on properly. Uh, and for all of it, also the oral, because that can also transmit uh, STIs, right? And I should mention, I, I don't know if you've heard about this. There is a demand for pregnant women in prostitution uh, because- Yeah, I any have heard about that. Yeah. It, yeah, any violation you can think of, uh, there is a demand for it. Yeah, sometimes they, the pregnant women get advertised and the pregnancy is not a problem, it's a feature because right. uh, some men really want that. Um, including in Germany, we've had so-called gangbangs, which I think are gang rapes of pregnant women, up to 30 men. And yeah, that's the worst case. Like that is, the, that is an extreme, that's a horror story. And when people, when prostitution is legalized, people do have to think about the worst outcomes. And I don't think they realize the extent to which become, what becomes legal. So I sometimes, I try not to tell horror stories usually because then people can say, oh, but that's just an outlier. Um, but it was legal for a long time. It was only legalized in 2017. So this was legal for decades in Germany and, and nobody cared. Of course, there can be a miscarriage uh, from prostitution because a lot of women don't have, right, they're independent contractors, they don't have maternal leave, they have to keep selling. And that is in complete violation of every pregnancy maternal protection law in Germany. That's why I say um, workers' rights don't, they're not applicable because mm. one, they're not applicable because health and safety um, at the job, these laws get violated left and right inherently from prostitution. And then additionally, the maternal protection laws are just trampled on and um, women, a lot of a number of women have uh, presented in, in uh, to to medical caretakers having uh, sold um, un until basically the day of delivery. So women who are in an advanced stage stage of, uh, of pregnancy, and they also have to go back very shortly after giving birth. The sex buyers talk about this as well. Oh, she's you know she just had a baby. Oh, she's back already. Um, which I mean, you know, a woman who's just given birth should for just obvious medical reasons, wait and heal until, until she can even have sex again. And that's with a consenting partner, not just with many, many, many sex buyers. I also looked somewhat into the plastic surgery industry, which is huge. Uh, I know there's, again, I think California is a good example. There are entire clinics, which are mostly doing procedures on strippers, porn performers, and women in prostitution, because men want women who look young, uh, women with huge breasts, um, and then also um, people will say, oh, but actresses in the Hollywood get operated on. Yeah, but not usually on their vaginas, on, on their labia, right? Right. right. All, all of this information really, all this evidence really just serves to make the point that that women, like what I take from all of that is that women in in and girls in porn and prostitution just have a higher mortality rate. Like everything that you've described if isn't death instantaneously, like bleeding out, for example, um, yeah. leads to 
serious, you know, long-term health consequences. I mean, it's interesting when you were going through the more gynecological symptomology or, or consequences, um, there's a lot of overlap um, there with women who have just one experience in the modern obstetric system, which is interesting because mm-hmm. you're talking about repeated trauma. Uh, and, and yeah, just the, the parallels are really interesting. Obviously, there's the, the, there are differences like within modern obstetrics, there aren't penises repeatedly being inserted inside a woman's vagina, but there are metal tools and whole fists. There, there's a lot of overlap just that, that comes to mind just with, with that. But yeah, what I, what I gather from all of this is that, you know, there is a high um, incidence of long-term health consequences. And then like, we haven't even got into, which would be a whole nother conversation about, you know, the, just the incidence of violence, like that leads to death within, you know, we're just talking about the, the consequences of repeated rape without beating and whipping. You know, we're just talking about baseline. If we could even call it that, like the baseline rape. Yes, exactly. And I think that's important to understand. If you gave a questionnaire to some of these women, they wouldn't even say I've been raped, but their body has, has been Mm-hmm. in many cases, objectively, horrifically injured. They might, because I think many women in not just in sex trade distinguish in their minds maybe between bad sex or unwanted sex and rape, but in many ways, the body doesn't. Right. Um, and the next part is, is in, in, in the blog post is about the violence. Um, and we can talk about that again, because I've um, done a lot of work on sex trade homicide as well, but maybe I'll just save that for, for later, if we still have time, otherwise people can read about it on my blog. Then when we go to mental health, because you mentioned the psychosomatic and these, there is a lot there, there's sleeping disorders, eating disorders, and the, the entire environment of the brothel, or just the, I guess the nightlife that isn't, I mean, there's daylight prostitution plenty, but a lot of it is, is still um, in, in the evening or at nights. And um, that's terrible for your, for your sleeping and your nutrition. And that's not unique to prostitution, but I think we also have to remember all these other health issues are then worsened by bad sleeping and bad nutrition. Um, not because women are neglectful or don't try to take care of themselves. Like if you, if you ask women, they try, they try, they really try, but the whole environment is not conducive to their health. And then um, physical symptoms of revulsion and emotional distress include chronic headaches, dizziness, exhaustion, nausea, vomiting, abdominal cramps, skin disorders, hair loss, and premature aging. So she might show up to the doctor and the doctor can't find the cause. And the cause is emotional distress of, of, a, of a horrific environment. And another thing is these don't seem the worst on the, on, on the face. They don't seem obviously terrible, but I think they are really is decreased libido and inability to experience sexual pleasure. Is the sex trade is so positive, then women should be having tons and tons and tons of orgasms and fun left and right. But the opposite is the case for some, it makes it, I think I mentioned this earlier, um, hard, difficult, or impossible. Some women I know who have survived prostitution are in happy partnerships and they can, and I know others who say, I will never again let someone touch me. Uh, some still uh, masturbate, but some are just like, I don't yeah. have sexuality. I cannot, I cannot, yeah. uh, no, no amount of trauma therapy. This, this was for me really killed my ability to be sexual. And then 
Many people I'm sure will know about the trauma symptoms like low self-esteem, irritability, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, obsessive compulsive behavior, compulsive spending, dissociation, self-harm, suicidal thoughts, and suicide, which are also super common in the porn industry. There's a website called uh, Sex Industry Kills that can uh, collects both uh, um, homicide uh, in prostitution and early deaths in the porn industry. In the case of the porn industry, also overdose uh, and suicide. Um, and there's a huge number of high profile cases. So these are people in the porn industry who've been very successful. People know their names, they're famous and they still um, die prematurely. And then the last part of the blog post is about addiction and um, legal and illegal drug consumption, which uh, is tied into mental health and chronic pain and makes everything worse. And of course can kill you. And um, there is, uh, if you talk to women who've survived the sex trade, both pornography and prostitution, many of them will say nobody does this sober. It's not possible to do this sober long-term. Um, which again, I'd like to always bring the sex bar back into the picture. Men see this, like they see that the women are drunk or high yeah. and they still keep going. And no one talks about this, or at least very, very few people are. They're like, oh, there's, you know, we know that there's a connection between street prostitution, for example, and drugs, but it's not just in street prostitution, it's throughout the entire industry, but especially there, because the women who are very badly addicted, um, who might, then it might really, really show in their behavior, they get kicked out of the brothels. The brothels are really terrible places, but even the, they, they have standards, and by that mean, they don't give a, give a damn about women, so they kick them out, and the women who are worst off and the most sick will be on the streets. And sex buyers see this and they don't care. And society mm -hmm. sees some of this. And in Germany, it's legal to buy a woman who literally has, uh, you can see that she's shooting drugs on the marks on her arm. And the sex buyer sees that he talks about it and and he's not committing a crime because he has paid. I, I think I read a quote, um, my friend Serendipity Day um, shared a quote with me from a sex buyer um, that she found, it may have been the Invisible Man Project, um, where he said, the, um, one of the buyers said that if the woman uh, he's buying sex from is showing pleasure, he doesn't feel like he's getting his money's worth, right? And that fits Kasha's uh, definition, who wrote uh, the the author of um, Being and Being Bought, where she talks about the right the absence in the absence of desire, there is money. So if the woman is showing desire or even pleasure, it starts to blur the relationship between the buyer and the woman being bought. So yeah, thank you for just naming the 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 absurd idea that that these women are somehow just having the times of their lives, like they're just making lots of money, doing the thing that everyone, that every human likes to do. The drug, the drug thing makes so much sense just as a means of, yeah, survival too. It's like, pick your, pick your poison that night. You know, do you want to numb out or do you want to like see so clearly? Obviously the body keeps the score as you mentioned, but you know, I, again, I, I keep thinking of the parallels within modern obstetrics, which is like if I were being prodded and tortured and told 
you know, I need to do this or my baby's doing that. Or, you know, if I were existing in this kind of authority kind of subdom situation where I felt like my body wasn't my own and like legally, as soon as I stepped into that place, my body is not my own. And all of a sudden I'm being surveilled. I would consider taking fentanyl to numb myself and you know, have that go to my baby. Like, I think that's a really reasonable decision for a woman to make in that, you know, what I would call a kind of torture chamber of, of different sorts where we're talking about modern obstetrics or in a brothel, for example. So if a woman wasn't already dependent on, on drugs, it makes perfect sense why she would be, would become dependent on uh, both legal and illegal drugs. I was also the book Being and Being Bought by Kaisa um, which is looking at the parallels of prostitution and surrogacy was one of the books that radicalized me. I went to a feminist library and thankfully they, they had it there. And that was one of the most influential books in, in to lead me on this path. Um, and I can only recommend it to anyone. And it's amazing. It's, it's a fairly short book. How much, yeah. how rich the information is in such a short book. Uh, I yeah. can recommended in the strongest terms thing she mentions in the book that really stuck with me as well is this idea like uh questioning how the basis of our oppression as women so the the you know our biology you know so the process of renting our bodies for sex and exploiting our wombs for reproductive purposes how how that mode of exploitation could ever be empowering when it is the basis of our oppression like that blew my mind like how could that be true yeah because one of the most common rebuttals or defenses of porn and prostitution has been like well it's it's uh it's my choice or i i'm doing it differently how if you think about it in a different way it changes what's going on which is so such a strange strange idea um, because what we're not saying is like motherhood is inherently exploitative or sex is inherently exploitative. Like that's not the, the parallel here. So the process of selling your body for either reproductive means or for sex, how that as the basis of our oppression as women could somehow be flipped and contorted to be your greatest source of power. Like, wow. Which that's used to be. An MRA talking point. I remember yeah. when I was first coming on the internet as a teenager and arguing with people, even as liberal feminists, they were always saying, women rule by sex appeal, which, okay, why, then why are most of the world leaders like old men? Makes no sense. But women mm. rule the whole through sex or something. Right. We, we know it's not true. Why is it suddenly true when there's this, uh, this, this kind of economic dependence? Because people like to compare it to marriage and that's that's a whole another debate because historically you can make a comparison and some forms of marriage are also types of sexual slavery but mm -hmm. prostitution is still very very clear strong financial dependence on it's not she who controls the men it's in the vast majority of cases um the willingness of men to pay or her level of sex appeal to men determines whether she's going to eat or not have a roof over her head have um, more than the basic needs and have a few nice things in her life, um, which I think is another thing. Um, not all women prostitutes to survive. Most do, 
I think we also need to have a conversation about how when when poor people, for example, engage in prostitution to just have a little bit more than the absolute basics, that's still not a free choice. Right. Um, it is economic uh, dependence uh, on sexually entitled men, which is super dangerous. And we all realize that when it's the landlord doing it, that's always the comparison I use. If my landlord, if I couldn't pay my rent and my landlord said, oh, it's okay, instead you will suck my dick. All, all my friends and the entire world would say, what a piece of shit is that man? Like, how, how dare he do that? That is exploitation. But when instead, but the same landlord could go and say, you can't make rent. You know who's hiring? The brothel. Then suddenly it's a choice. Because I think the vast majority of prostitution, from my understanding, there is a lot of trafficking. But a lot of it is poverty. But poverty is a pimp too. And when the poverty pimps you out to your landlord, we say he's an exploiter. But when the poverty pimps you out in a brothel, we act like the sex buyer doesn't exist and like it's still a choice. And there is no empathy for women uh, pushed by poverty. N none at all. That's one more thing I want to say. Um, people say illegal prostitution decreases stigma, but not at all. Not at all. Um, the idea that all these women are making tons of money leads people in society to be jealous of them, to see them as greedy, as gold diggers, uh, see them as nymphomaniacs. If they chose it, then they enjoy it, then they're nymphomaniacs. So it's like it's almost like women in prostitution can't win. Maybe they're not criminals anymore, but now they're greedy nymphomaniacs, which is still dehumanizing. And um, like you mentioned a while back, uh, which I've heard from multiple prostitution survivors, when the sex buyer thinks she's choosing it, that uh, is not necessarily good uh, at all. Because then, yeah, like you said, he gets angry when she seems to enjoy it, or maybe in a few cases she does, because um, then she should really be handing it out for free because it's right because she's she's the one winning here. When people think women in prostitution have power, I mean, not only is it a complete upside down picture of what's really going on, but it's uh, it helps with the victim blaming. It helps with the dehumanization, unfortunately, the way that it's played out in places uh, like Germany and New Zealand. Um, which is, it's, I think that's another whole discussion. How do we even get out of the stigma for women in prostitution? Because it is, it is real and it is hard. The other side talks about it, but they always reduce it to if women are seen as criminals, that's the only problem. Mm -hmm. No, there's so mm -hmm. much more that's attached to that um, that's hard to break through. And legalization doesn't fix these issues. Um, particularly for anyone who's new to this conversation, the, the, the insight that you've you've shared and shed light on on this topic is like yeah really really important so just want to thank you again for yeah taking the time to to educate listeners and myself included on on what the reality of of this of prostitution really really is I think we covered a huge amount of ground and this yeah like you said still uh, much more to talk about um I just say that I'll, I'll try and provide the sources for the many things I've said here and, and uh, other women who are worth listening to who've written about this. Many of them have who have personal experience in the sex trade because that's one of the most powerful things and that gives me hope that's been happening for the last few years, which is that women who've lived it and um, look back on it and can, can see it for what it is and, and lay the blame where, where it deserves to be, be laid at the, the industry bosses and at the... At the the buyers, okay, this, the term sex buyer itself is is a bit of, there are no ideal terms, right? With like men who commit violence against women, we often don't even have words that that 
uh, we can use that adequately describe them. But anyway, these these women um, were also very important in, in my process uh, of radicalization on the issue. And they, they can articulate very clearly what the problem is, what the uh, reality is, and also what to do about it. Because mm-hmm. we don't have to accept things as they are. And we don't like you, I'm sure you hear this all the time. There's unfortunately nothing we can do about this. This is just uh, human nature. Right. Men are just profession in the world, which it's not. I think uh, you, your profession is probably the oldest in the world. Like midwifery is more likely uh, the oldest, like female specific uh, profession. So not only is it not true, uh, things can actually be different. And we don't accept this. Oh, we can't do anything about it, about uh, rape or domestic violence or war. We know these things are incredibly hard to change. It takes many generations. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a, a willingness amongst men and boys also to say, this is not how we want to relate to women, but we have some faith that we can do it with these other issues. So why not prostitution? And women who have survived it um, are growing into a global movement who is articulating very clear demands and, and ways forward. And um, I'll, I'll share sources on that and also try leaving listeners with a little bit of hope that things can be done. And there is a vibrant movement on this that people with, like we talked at the beginning, many different kinds of talents, uh, be it medical or communication um, or creative, anything, anyone can do something about this. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support my work, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To stay in the loop for my latest coaching programs, hypnosis sessions, free resource guides, and more, follow me on Instagram at whosebodyisit and visit my website, whosebodyisit.com.